MSW Media. Hi, I'm Frances Callier. And I'm Angela V. Shelton. And we're Frangela. You know what you need in your life? Hmm. The Final Word Podcast. Yes, you do. That's right. It is the final word on all things political and pop cultural. Where we make real news real funny. Where we inspire you so you can hashtag resist. Subscribe and get a new episode of The Final Word Podcast each week. It's the news we think you need to hear. That's right. We think you need to hear it. Okay. Yeah, it's what we say so. That's right. And because all we do is give, every Thursday you can listen to our hysterical podcast, Idiot of the Week. We round up the stupid because you know what? Somebody has to. Okay. All we do is give. Welcome back to Teacher Quit Talk, where we're all quitting and we're all talking. I love how that's like become a thing. Like that wasn't a thing. And it's like, it's slightly different every time because I can't remember what I said last time. <laughs> it's authentic. It's like the teacher planning room mm-hmm. where we can just gossip and be honest. That's exactly the vibe. Quitters and shit talkers. Unite. Yeah. I'm Miss Redacted. We're here with Miss Frazzled and I will allow our guests to introduce themselves. Hi guys, I'm Susie. You might know me as Miss Dean Loves You and I recently had a son and quit my job. Woohoo! Both very liberating. Slay. So liberating, honestly. I can't imagine teaching and also having children because I have taught and then gone home and I'm tired and I can't imagine walking in the door of my home and finding out that someone was failing algebra. I think I would fully lose my mind and not be the parent that every child deserves when going through a hard time. If after dealing with a hundred other children, how do you have the audacity to be failing algebra? And there's nothing like the teacher tired of August to November 1st. Mental, emotional, physical, spiritual, it's all of the exhaustions. I was fighting to go to bed at 8 o'clock or 8.30 during those months. I can't imagine coming home to my baby and like still having to feed him, get him ready for bed, do his nighttime routine, and just like bond with him as a mother. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I can't even. I couldn't teach when she was in my belly. <laughs> I wasn't good then. That's when it all went downhill for me, too. As a childless person, often for dinner, the most I can handle is a Trader Joe's baguette with cheese and salami, so I can't imagine having to incorporate a child's routine after work. Those Trader Joe's baguettes are lit, aren't they? You have gotten me into quite the rough situation. They were out of them the other day, and I, like, I was deeply unwell. Oh, Fraz, it's your fault? Yeah. Yes. You got her on here? Yeah. yeah. Right after I gave birth, I was like, look, you can have an entire baguette if you just buy these with every meal and and no matter what I'm eating I'm like you know what would pair phenomenally with this (laughs) it's so funny that you bring up Trader Joe's because I was just gonna bring up a Trader Joe's story I was talking to the cashier as one does as one does I was talking about teaching and like having a baby because Jay was with me I was talking about how as a teacher people think must be so much easier for you to have a kid because you know so much I think we know
know too much. I find a lot of my friends with kids get a little offended where they're like, my kid doesn't listen to me at home, but at school I have 30 kids and I kind of have it under control. And the reality is kids just act so differently at home versus in school because home is their backstage. It's like their home base, they're safe there. Already I know too much. Already my husband is like, please shut the fuck up because I have something to say about everything where I'm like, no, no, we can't do that. It'll traumatize her. And he's like, oh my God. The Trader Joe's employee is like, yeah, so for the third time, the apples are around the corner to the left. Poor thing. The lady behind me in checkout loved it though. Oh, I love making friends in public like that. That's very sweet. I'm glad that you did that. That must be a blessing and a curse because me and Redacted both taught high schoolers. Mm -hmm. So I feel like having taught high schoolers and upper high schoolers, it gave me a lot of insight into what I do and don't want to be as a parent. But I don't have that opportunity to put that into play until later in life. So we'll see how that actually goes. I have no idea what I'm doing for now until probably 14. Thankfully, the internet is ready to give you all the unsolicited, aggressive advice they have. Thank God. And project all their issues onto you. I had to write an essay in high school about whether or not ignorance is bliss. And being a parent, I sometimes think ignorance is bliss. Oh, yeah. Right before I gave birth, I was like, I'm not going to read a single parenting book. I didn't either. Because the more I know about all this stuff, the more anxious of a parent I'm going to be. And that's not going to serve him. Uh Uh-huh. So I'm just relying on my girlfriends right now. Like the good old days in the villages. As someone who's mother read every single parenting book um i would recommend your stance (laughs) (laughs) there's trauma either way so i'm just gonna choose the one that's gonna make me mentally more sound and stable exactly no matter what your kid's gonna be traumatized so just make sure it's good vibes only you know i tell that to kindergarten parents all the time like we are not perfect people therefore we are not perfect parents we just try to respond to them consistently and honestly that emotional stability is like 90 percent of what it is. I almost think that kind of screwing up our kids can be a benefit to them because something I wish my parents did and they did the best that they could, no shade on them. They obviously fucked me up, like all of our, you know, all of them. Yeah. But I think there's such an opportunity to be like, maybe that wasn't the best. And even as a teacher, I did this, admit fault and then move forward. So many kids have such a hard time admitting that they're wrong or like learning new information and then wanting to adopt that, but not wanting to acknowledge that they believe something else. Making mistakes and modeling for our kids that it was a mistake and adults can make mistakes is really important. So my mom is now on TikTok, right? So she's learning all of this stuff. Who's mine? <laughs> She's doing lymphatic drainage and contouring. Oh my god. See, that's my mom's on childhood trauma TikTok. Oh. <laughs> I'm on postpartum TikTok. Ariel's mom is on childhood trauma TikTok. None of us are where we need to be. No. And my mom all the time is now coming to me like, well, this is a result of trauma. And I'm like, mom. But, you know, it's very healing for our relationship. But at the same time, she's raising a 17-year-old who she's trying to parent a different way. And she's like, this is so hard. And I'm like, I know. Like, oh, yeah. I know. But, like, I think her trying and, like, acknowledging that things weren't always handled the best has been such a benefit in the long run. In a way, the time that is, like, the strongest for you building a relationship with a kid is those moments where you 
can be like, that was probably not the most chill thing yeah. I could have done. Yeah. And like, that's where your relationships get built so much more in the, oh, I gave him a piece of candy. We did this cool game. I took my child to this event. Like Divorce dad parenting. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yes. Yeah. What a good way That would be my style of parenting. One event once every two weeks. I'm really more of a headliner than a day-to-day. But just often the moments that are not your fondest memories, you kind of show your two colors and really like bond with somebody. Oh my God. Well, yeah, yeah. And just showing your kids that you are also a human and not just a perfect parent. Same with being a teacher. Like I think you talked about in a previous episode how your kids, Fraz, think that you live at school. <laughs> totally thought that about my young teachers as well. All your life is just being a teacher, but humanizing ourselves in that way as parents, as teachers, anywhere where we're dealing with kids, I think is a really beautiful place to have them learn about themselves and how they want to carry themselves through their own adulthood. Mm-hmm. This is such a tangent, but I need to say it. So I grew up in a small town where pretty much every single teacher was married with kids and lived in the upper middle class community and their husband had a good job and their kids went to that public school system and that was the vibes. And I remember in fourth grade, my fourth grade social studies teacher was a single woman who had an apartment like 45 minutes away and I it stuck out so much to me. And I didn't even grow up in a family where that was like super, super traditional. You have to get married. But just seeing that, I was like, oh my God, you go to work and you have a roommate and she would like go on little trips sometimes and I was like you're literally like slaying sex in the city is happening at this classroom right now god it's like cool (laughs) aunt vibes because one time she broke her toe and so she was gone and then she was like oh yeah my roommate had to go take me to the hospital and we were all like you have a roommate and I remember she was like weirded out that we all wanted to know but we were all fascinated that she had an apartment but wasn't married. Wait, how old were you? In fourth grade. I mean, when I was a teacher, I had a roommate, still have a roommate. Shout out to the housing crisis. I know, because I lived with my parents until I lived with my fiance and then husband. I I would have to have a roommate if I hadn't had those two resources on my salary. How old are you? 24, but I started teaching when I was 21, which should be illegal. Actually, no, I was 20. I'm literally always shocked that you're 24. I am old. We're not old. Are you older than me? I'm going to be 31 next month. Until we started this podcast, I thought you were like 26. I love that for me. Yeah. I hear your 30s are your best. They are so far. Everyone I know has been thriving in their 30s. I hated being in my mid-20s. I'm not thriving. My mid-20s were very challenging. Yeah, retweet. (laughs) I felt more tumultuous as a mid-20s year old than I did like as a 15-year-old. When I was deciding to leave teaching, it was really hard for me because I was like, what job am I going to do where I'm going to also feel purposeful? Mm -hmm. Am I going to feel guilty? Am I going to lose so much pride? Because I was looking at my friends who were like in corporate and they were looking at me. They were like, Susie, you go into school every day and you feel like you're doing something and making a difference. And I just make PowerPoint. I like give presentations on cybersecurity to all these old white men. I'm fresh into the not teacher world and job stuff. So I can't make a comment on it yet. But I'm very curious to see if I'll have trouble adjusting because I'll feel like I won't be doing anything purposeful. I never wanted to be a teacher. I wanted to get my PhD in counseling psychology for my whole entire life. I knew two things for my whole entire life. I wanted to get into UF and I wanted to get my PhD in counseling psychology and work with adolescents. 
I've always been very type A and good at studying and getting things done on time, but I started dropping the ball in January, senior spring. I didn't have the money to take a GRE prep course. I hadn't looked into any master's applications, much less PhD things. And I was like, what am I gonna do with my life once I graduate? Cause all my friends had all these fancy, they were all like business majors. I was a sociology major like you. Oh my God, being a sociology major in a field of business majors literally makes you feel the most horrendous emotions about yourself. <laughs> I had the same experience. I went to a job fair and I was like, okay, the end is near. This is actually how I got into teaching because I would go to every booth of the job fair that's open to all students. And because I'm very personable and have a dazzling personality, everyone loved me. And then I would hand them my resume and they would see that I was majoring sociology and they'd be like, yeah, you can go to the website for more information. And I was like, that's awesome. Thank you so much. And so I was like, just in the corner stressed. And then this guy came up to me and was like, hey, let me look at your resume. And he was like talking to me about teaching. That's how I kind of started thinking about teaching. So you never wanted to be a teacher. You wanted to get your PhD in counseling, but then the GRE moment came and passed. And I had previously minored in education because I thought maybe I'll want to be, well, the real reason is because I didn't want to graduate early. And two, I thought maybe I'll be a school counselor and I'll like leave that option open. Mm -hmm. So I find myself senior year, I'm fucked. So I was like, all right, I know about Teach for America. I applied on a whim. I ended up getting in and then I quit after three months. It was just horrendous. And I applied to two places. I applied to be a poolside bartender at the Breakers. Still wonder what my life would look like if I was a cute little poolside bartender with all those rich men. And I applied to my old high school, which is where I worked for five years. And I fell in love with it. And that group of kids were so awesome. Awesome. I felt purposeful and they were funny and every day I was just energized by them and by the end of the year I just stayed and I never went back to school and I never also really had a desire to go back to school to be a counselor because I don't want to discount school counselors because they are certified and they deal with very important things that I could never deal with as a teacher but I was able to crack into high school teenagers in a way that their parents couldn't and probably a lot of counselors couldn't because they were counselors I just does, does this make sense yeah. no I get what you mean especially with high school students once they get in a different environment they can kind of go like and close up so like yeah. the first time you walk into your school counselor's office that's not an environment that you're in every day so it's like a thing and an event that's a thing can make yeah. you not want to talk about certain things or kind of like not be yourself and I think in the day-to-day -day classroom you get a really different perspective because it's not their home environment by any means but it's a much closer to their home environment than an office they've never been in right I would obviously send any student to one of the counselors if there was something that was beyond me but I could get personally and emotionally invested in that situation situation and that growth and development in a way that I couldn't as a counselor. So I stayed until a few weeks ago. And what, what happened a few weeks ago? There's so much to unpack, you guys. So what was your journey to decide to leave teaching? Was it like a ton of little things? Yeah, I have so many questions. Hey everyone, here comes two minutes of pregnant talk, including a mention of loss and a discussion around disordered eating. If you want to skip ahead, we move on at 17 minutes and 48 seconds. Was it one big thing? It was a ton of little things. Obviously, I've been following your journey for a while, and I felt very surprised that you left. It makes perfect sense to me, like, as a fellow new mother, like, why you would want to, but, like, 
tell us everything. Give us the tea. It didn't start as being a potential mom, but it did start as being a potential new mom. Everything was great until January. I had found out that I was pregnant and it was very scary for me because I had had a miscarriage, my first pregnancy. This was my first time trying to get pregnant. I was like, Robbie, if we have sex now, my due date is going to be my birthday. And that will be a great story to have someone have a miscarriage and then have their rainbow baby due on their birthday. How beautiful. You're like, drop your pants. The Instagram post is going to be fucking iconic. You're getting me pregnant tonight. Well, it's funny because he was coming back from a bachelor party in the Keys and he was super hungover. And I was like, I don't care. I'll do it all. (laughs) I was drunk on Benihana mojitos when I conceived my child, so... I'm so glad we're talking about this. Damn, these freaking tangents tonight. I'm having fun though. The next baby, my midwife said, don't try to get pregnant for a year and a half, which I'm fine with because I love being not pregnant. And I think you and I both dealt with food stuff. I was in recovery. Mm. Yeah, I relapsed right before I got pregnant. So not being pregnant for a while, I think is going to be great for me. I relapsed postpartum. Oh, no. Well, I was like rough during pregnancy, but I could like trick my brain by being like, nope, you're pregnant. Like you need to, like I was good. And then the second she was out of me, my husband caught, and then I couldn't breastfeed because I wasn't. Is that why? It's part of it. Me not making enough milk because I wasn't eating. Her having a a lip tie and me having flat nipples, like, was the trifecta of doom. Like, there was no way. Flat nipples and then trifecta of doom. (laughs) I didn't relapse in that time period. It was relatively so quick compared to yours. And so the only thing that's keeping me from doing that is the breast milk supply. So you and I flipped. Yeah. Yeah. I'm supplying to a friend. So I have like a whole other accountability. That's huge. You know this, like when you're pregnant, it's easy to physically not relapse. Yeah. But it's hard to stay out of the mental state of the eating disorder. Yeah. I mean, it's been crazy. I think both of us have clung to certain things and we have good like accountability in our lives because it's not a secret with people close to us like they know our husbands oh my gosh once Robbie caught me then he always knew that prevented me from even trying yeah I got so pissed at him postpartum because I wasn't eating anything you're hormonal you're already struggling and then like not to eat or sleep on top of it like hello oh it's hard but it's possible so if if I do leave this in if anybody listening is suffering or struggling or what have you even if you're in a recovery and you're worried about relapsing like lean on that support system the radical honesty in my marriage saved me oh my god yeah I hated it me too I hate it it's so uncomfortable it's so bad honest about your feelings is literally the most horrific thing to do ever afterward five stars during zero stars I was asking him for accountability and it's important that I did it but like everything in my body was like, like I couldn't deal. I hate when people who have never dealt with any type of neurodivergence who are like, just listen to your intuition and listen to your body. And I'm like, um, my body thinks I'm on the edge of a cliff at all times. So that's... <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> Anxiety is my baseline. I'm about to be attacked by a crocodile at any given moment. Yes. Yeah, it's hard to identify when you're in it. I think teaching too, like just to bring it back, but also relevant 
content is like we're supposed to be martyrs we're supposed to be like there for the kids and we're supposed to be on all the time and like leave your shit at the door all of that is so difficult because we're whole people we have a lot of shit going on we bring a lot even like stuff with OCD like people with OCD DM me and they're like how do you deal in school and I'm like well I I take days off at the end of the day like we are there as pawns in the system and they will replace us in a second people who get like oh my god you left what about the kids they're gonna replace me as soon as they can yeah we have not even okay so I was at that school I was only there from August to November the classroom management was the problem I could not get the kids on board with me which I want to blame on admin because they were always changing what I was doing in the classroom as soon as I would get into a groove admin would change the way I did it for the government or for the state or for whatever standards Mm -hmm. I just had no consistency in my classroom so my kids were not not on the same page I was commuting an hour or an hour and a half every day every morning morning every night I was also having to pay for all of my own printer paper having to pay for their notebooks pay for their pencils pay for obviously the classroom decor it got to a point where one day I was crying on my way to school and my mom was like (laughs) I give my mom more credit now she didn't understand but she was like get your shit together essentially she was like this is the real world Susie This is what it's like. And I was like, mom, you're in a job where you don't like going to work, but you don't mind going to work. Like I'm dreading every day that I drive to school and I wake up at five o'clock. I read a statistic the other day, so it could be a lie. Who knows? That someone who has an hour commute needs to make 40% more money to have the same levels of happiness. It's so bad for you mentally, physically, financially, like in so many aspects, a commute destroys your quality of living. So I think it's such a valid reason for having a hard time settling into that role. I mean, once I transferred to my other school, I was like, oh my God, I can drive to school when the sun has risen. Like this is life giving. But my mom called me while I was on my way to school that day. I was crying my eyes out. She was crying and she was upset that she had said that to me. So I stayed home that day with her. I talked about it with her. And we decided that I was going to quit and that I gave myself permission to quit. And I updated my resume and I applied to that pool bartender job and my old high school where I still had friends and contacts and like old teachers that I had gotten close with. I got interviews with both the same day. And that was my first opportunity to realize like I can get out of this and I can potentially have a job where I don't hate myself or dread going to work every day. I interviewed at my high school. They pretty much hired me on the spot and I'm coming from where I had to pay for my own printer paper where the administrators told me don't send your students to admin unless there is physical contact made between students. So I like kids cursing me out. I had to write a police report because a kid was watching porn in my class. Like it was wild. So I went to my old high school and there was a teacher who was like, I can't handle these kids. They're too much. And so she transferred to an AP course. She transferred to an AP course and then they hired two teachers to take over her classes. So I was co-teaching with a teacher who had essentially been a veteran and it was really awesome to work under him. He really trained 
trained me to be the teacher that I am. I think that's part of why I love teaching so much and I was so good at it and so successful and enjoyed myself so much because other than those first three months, I really had a two year slow introduction into how to be an effective teacher in a high school classroom. And I will never forget my first, can you hear my baby cry? A little bit. Can I just go get him? I'll just go get yeah, him. No problem. Okay. He's like putting him down. He has a bottle work. I love it. My first professional development type thing at my school. I was with that teacher and she looked at me and she said, good luck. Those students are hellacious. And to this day, that group of students are my absolute favorite. They're the ones that made me fall in love with teaching. I taught them as sophomores. I taught them as seniors. And they were seniors in that 2020 COVID year. I still talk to a lot of them to this day. They were so special to me. That was the class where I went into school every day looking forward to it. I had a whole bunch of kids that would sit with me at lunch and eat lunch in my classroom. I left every day feeling purposeful and energized. And I just made such beautiful relationships and I spent my days thinking like, this can't be real. There's actually a job where you can get paid to do what you love. Like I thought that was just some kind of thing that people said to make you work harder. There's actually jobs where you can feel passionate about it and not feel like you're working. Like I loved it so much. Then COVID happened and we were all online and that was fine. I was great when I was all online. Like my admin told me do less grade easier and essentially give more points. Easy, you want me to do nothing. Fine. These kids, I don't know if a parent has COVID or if there's a parent at home or if their parents have to work and they have to take care of siblings. Like being in distance learning, I was especially sensitive to their home situation. So I had no problem doing nothing and just being an emotional support touch tree for them. I mean, I had kids that were totally home by themselves. Like I would be like, where's mommy? And the kindergartner would be like, she's at work. Grandma's next door. And I'd be like, pardon me? And she was like, yeah, but I can go get her. I can just go to her house. And I was like, no, honey, please just stay right here. If you could just not move or let your device die for the whole rest of forever, that would be awesome. Exactly. And I would get phone numbers of parents to help with whatever, you know, there was so much to help with in that time period, technology, curriculum, whatever. It was like a 13 year old. I got on for a parent teacher conference and I like turned on the Zoom. It was a freaking like middle schooler. And I was like, hello. Uh, hi. (laughs) So interesting that we were on the reverse of that because I would be like calling the 16 year old and I'd be like, get in the Zoom, get in the Zoom. And they'd be like, I'm sorry, I have to talk to my little sister's teacher. She's failing. And I was like, are you okay? Let's make it a three-way call, honestly. Like, this is a mess. So I had no problem with doing less. And then this past year where I was like pregnant and ended up just like not doing well mentally, we had such an opportunity. And admin said, we're going to get our kids back on track. We're going to have high standards. We're going to make them accountable. They have to be in school and we're going to get them back on track. So, you know, I had high standards for my students like I did before and the kids were not meeting it they were not meeting that standard so I had a lot of f's 
my first quarter, which redacted, you know, first quarter is like very important with high school students. That's when they learn like what your standards and expectations are. My favorite quote that just encapsulates exactly what you're saying is when one of my students said, after first quarter, I learned Miss Redacted's the only teacher that means it when she says she'll give you a zero. I would have so, so, so many Fs first quarter. And I am very much subscribing to the mindset that high expectations are a gift. And the number of kids that came back to me later and said, your class prepared me for college, your class showed me that when it says something they mean it I'm not in the business of wanting to fail children I think there's a lot of people out there who kind of like get joy out of failing kids which I'm not about but at the end of the day me giving you an F as plagiarism is me doing a good thing for you because I'm teaching you a lesson so I was on the same page where first quarter I would have a lot of F's which is a sad and scary thing to do as a teacher but at the end of the day you're doing them a bigger favor by giving them an F than just passing them along. Yes, absolutely. I always think like my favorite and most impactful teacher did not take any late work, not even for a docked point. She just had very high standards and I I wanted to meet them because I wanted to impress her and that's what got me through college. So anyway, I had so many Fs. I got called into my admin's office and he essentially said, you can't have this many Fs. You need to pass them. What are you doing wrong? And I'm like, I'm not doing anything wrong. These kids either aren't turning things in and I'm giving them zeros because they're not turning anything in or they're not coming to class. He told me to give them 50s instead of zeros which I told myself I would never do and I never did because you know with a grade book if you replace a zero with a 50 like I could have a student that has an average of a 38 and is representative of their mastery or effort and then I put one or two 50s in for grades and then they're automatically at like a 61 and then they're passing. I don't care if it makes me the villain. I am anti 50 for no work. I would usually do 50 as long as you turned something in and it looks like you made effort and it's in your own words. I'll give you a 50. But people that have the mindset that you should look at a child who is 16 years old and give them a 50 for doing absolutely nothing, that is setting up that child for failure every single next step of their life. Yeah. And I told that to him. I said, I don't want to sacrifice my values because these are the kids that aren't going to college. These are the kids that are going right into the workforce. I'm teaching them their resume skills and their ASVAB skills for the military and how to interview appropriately. And I also need to teach them time management and self-accountability. And he said to me, you don't need to worry about teaching that to them now because once they graduate and they're in the real world, they'll learn that the hard way. I want them to learn where it's safe and you can actually learn and not fall on your face. That's what I wanted too. That's what I wanted too. You are in my safe space. I'm going to tell you what the real world is like and all of the reasons why I was insecure and failed at so many things. And I'm going to prevent you from failing at having a shitty resume and having no idea what to say to these interview questions. We're going to practice them now where you won't fail so hard. And that was the first thing when I was essentially being asked to sacrifice all of my values as a teacher. At that point, I was pregnant. Number two, honestly, was I couldn't take my meds. I was on antidepressants and anti-anxiety. So I was on pretty heavy dose of Xanax and I couldn't take that. I think being in such a state of hyper anxiety in my classroom and not being able to dull it made me realize how much disrespect I was putting up with on a day-to-day basis. And I taught seniors. It got to a point in my classroom where I was stopping PowerPoints, giving them the answers to fill in the blanks, and they still weren't 
doing it. And at that point, I was just spinning my wheels. I was spending my weekends and my nights trying to make things engaging for them. I was giving every tool to get them to pass and they still weren't taking it. And it was a level of apathy that I had never dealt with and just taking it personally, which I shouldn't have. But I was just face to face with the fact that I was putting in so much effort and care and concern for my students and that wasn't being reciprocated. I was just losing myself. And that got really frustrating for me. It was just honestly a year where a lot of shit happened. And this is where the tea comes in. Hey, me again. Susie's about to tell two disturbing stories. One mentioned school shooting and the other pregnancy loss. Join us again at the 31 minute 40 second mark if you want to skip ahead. One, I had a student who threatened to shoot another student in my classroom. And I know Fraz that like the anxiety, that's a big thing for you. And it is for me too. Like we're right down the street from Parkland. I had a lot of students who knew the shooter. I had a lot of students who knew victims. That was, it was just so obviously this threat in my classroom was very scary. I didn't go back to school the next day. I just felt icky about it and I just wanted to be safe. So the student who was peripherally engaged in the confrontation texted me and said, thank you so much for reporting this and standing up for me because he had called her a slur. That was when I sent him out of my classroom. I went to the school police. I went to the counselors with the other student who was threatened. I said to her, I of course will stand up for you. I don't want to return to the classroom until I know that all of my students feel and are safe because she didn't come back to school that day either and I got in trouble for that and I got called down to the office for texting a student I mean through remind like she didn't have my phone number but I think they didn't like that I wasn't on their side I was reprimanded and called down for that it wasn't right for a lot of reasons I really should have had my union rep with me after that like died down I had a student write a short story for a short story project on me and my baby dying and I was pregnant and it was incredibly detailed. Ah. That was especially hard for me because I was open with my students about my miscarriage. Once I announced my pregnancy to them, my kids were really invested in my pregnancy. Like my kids threw a gender reveal party for me and got me so many gifts and were so excited and like voted on the sex and all the things. Then he wrote that and I've never felt so vulnerable as a pregnant person. It was terrifying. Those were the two big things that really started to push me out. Aside from like the disrespect that I was dealing with blatantly and the kids that weren't doing their work and the kids that were manipulating me and all the things that I just realized that I hadn't dealt with until I had to. And I came home one day and I was talking to my husband about it on our patio and he was like, why don't you consider like leaving and like getting your real estate license or something and that was the first time I allowed myself to think about doing something else. I started to play with the idea for a while and one of my best friends was an art teacher and she left. She would send me pictures in the morning of her like walks by the bay at 8 a.m. and the lunches and breakfasts that she could have with her husband and how fulfilled she felt and she helped me a lot. And then I made the decision to leave teaching because I didn't want my son to get my leftovers of my emotions. 
when I came home. My relationship with my husband and my family and my friends were deteriorating quickly for the first time. That's why I say my pregnancy was 100% and 100% not the reason why I left teaching because I always planned to be a working mom with my son. But once I went through that and now as a mom, I realized that it just wasn't sustainable. It's so unfortunate because it's just not sustainable to care this much as a teacher. Mm -hmm. And that's what made me such a great teacher. And that's what made me not be able to be a long-term teacher. I cared about my students so much. I thought about them all the time. I told them that I love them every single day. I took so much time before, during, after school, during my lunches, during my planning to counsel them and talk to them and be there for them. That's why they felt safe and that's why they thrived and that's why they did so well but you can't do that and be a teacher in this environment long term yeah just devastating and it's crazy to me that you mentioned and that you went through the incident of like the student writing that horrifyingly graphic story about you because we had another guest on recently who went through not the same thing but with students making comments about being violent towards her and her unborn child while she was pregnant it's the combination of like we view teachers as kind of disposable resources that we can just take 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 from and then also a lot of my friends who have been pregnant have said when you become pregnant the world feels like they have the right to make comments about your body to touch your body to Mm -hmm. ask you things and to say things that on a normal context would be so inappropriate so I think like being pregnant while being a classroom teacher you're having the intersection of both those things where you just get your humanhood and your rights and your respect and your boundaries violated again and again and again and again yeah it was so uncomfortable and so sad and so devastating and I think if I hadn't gotten pregnant, I wouldn't have noticed. I would have spent the whole rest of the year thriving. I'm blessed that my pregnancy made me realize all of this stuff is icky to like leave a profession that you felt so passionate about and what it once was. Now that I'm a mom and now that he's here separate from all of that, I can't imagine leaving him. I mean, like I have two part-time jobs, so I'm like still going to be working 40 hours a week, but I can't imagine investing so much energy into my students and then coming home and just giving him whatever is left I just don't think that's fair to him and I don't think it's fair to set the example to sacrifice yourself so much in a job which doesn't really matter like your family matters your friends matter your impact on the world matters but what sometimes you're being paid for it's not as important as you set it out to be when did you officially quit teaching I think I sent in my two weeks November 14th I was still on maternity leave I wanted to leave on maternity leave because my leave started the first day of school so I never met my new set of students and I didn't want them to meet me. I didn't want to start to develop a relationship and then leave them. I thought that would be unfair. So many teachers have echoed that sentiment. We give so much of ourselves. We come home and we don't have time for this self-care that we have PDs on or we don't have time for our spouse or our partner or or our kids. I couldn't understand before. It's a whole new level. I don't have anything left to give and that's how I felt coming home from school Mm -hmm. to put that level of exhaustion with the exhaustion of having a child I can't imagine it something that I think really shocks me so many teachers have kids because it's 
touted as yeah. a career that's really family friendly. You have the same hours as your kids. You have the same breaks as your kids. You get into it thinking, okay, this is going to be family oriented. But mm-hmm. nothing about the career has changed to make it actually family friendly. No. I was at a charter school that the hours were 7.15 in the morning to 4.15 at night. That's too many hours. Yeah. I worked at a daycare and the absolute earliest you could drop off your child was 7.30. Like what? How do people make that work? Exactly. You're already feeling pretty stretched thin without a child. Yeah. Yeah. Crazy. I'm curious what your jobs are now. So I manifested the shit. Okay. I had no idea what I was going to do. I was like, I don't know what my passions are. I don't want to go back to school to be a counselor. I'm not going to be a teacher. What do I apply to? And my dad, he owns an accounting firm. So I'm very lucky and privileged in that regard. So I'm going to be working for him. One of his employees quit while I was pregnant. And I was like, oh my God, I will work for you. I can take care of your grandson. You're personally invested in that. And then one day I was taking Hawthorne on a walk. It started raining. I went into a coffee shop that is also a brewery. And I met this woman and she was with her mother. And they were talking about my son. And I told him his name's Hawthorne, you know, like very unusual name and I said yeah I'm like I'm I'm an English teacher what can I do and she said oh you're an English teacher are you thinking of taking any time off and I said actually I'm thinking of quitting and she said work for me she owns an HR company part of what she does is she revamps job descriptions for them or like startups creating them and she said you're good at English you're good at grammar I need a job description writer and I was like great she said you know what I really want to hire you why don't you talk to some of my current and former employees about the job environment and see how you like it. I I thought to myself, this woman is giving me the phone numbers and emails of her current and former employees to ask them whatever I want. It was incredible to me. And then she said to me, you know, if it doesn't work out and you don't like it, why don't you just quit? She must have been so confident in the culture that she created and all of the employees that I talked to loved it. They're all women except for her husband. They're all moms. It's very family oriented. It's very flexible in that regard. I've just been easing into both of those jobs. We'll see how that goes and we'll see how the schedule is with the baby and such, but I'm feeling very hopeful and let me just say like already having left teaching I loved it and I felt so good about it for so long and then I had the courage to leave and I have not felt more like myself and I have not felt more joy and more of a desire to like be with my friends I'm vibrant again even though I don't have summers off and I'm not going to be off at 3 30 the lack of stress is going to contribute so much to my overall joy and what I can contribute to my family and then my parents and my friends. It's just so worth it. I already feel so good. Loving the thriving era for you. My MILF era. Absolutely. I wanted to name my podcast More Than a MILF, but my husband said that gives the wrong message. So I had to name it Unbranded. I disagree with your husband. (laughs) What were you going to say? We're like fundamentally changed by the exact same Pinterest photo. Your shop running Pinterest photo that you pinned, I was also obsessed with. I changed my Pinterest boards like twice in the wedding planning process 
And that was the first photo that I was like, I need that. It was that photo and a photo of like spraying champagne. Neither one of them ended up making it into the final day of the wedding for a lot of reasons. Like our wedding was a nightmare. The reason I started shotgunning coffee was literally that picture. I don't know exactly why I connected with that photo so much. I don't know either. My best friend, Colleen, grew up in the Keys. So she always says that her childhood was learning how to drink drink well on a boat she was the party animal to my we need to get good grades and be good at our jobs so we balanced each other out really well and I saw that picture and I was like man this is just like a vibe that I want to cultivate this is the woman that I want to grow up to be and then as you know I started practicing neither one of us shotgunned anything Susie so that's why it's so weird to me that we were both so inspired by this photo because we had to teach ourselves what do you mean neither of us shotgunned we weren't avid perfect shotgunners until we saw the photo. Oh, oh, we weren't avid shotgunners this year. Yeah. No, 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 no. It was a skill I had to acquire. And then Colleen comes into the picture because she grew up in the Keys. So she taught me to bite the can of beer with my mouth instead of using a key and then shotgun it that way. Before the whole shotgunning thing, what was the thing that we were talking about? Sad stuff. Oh, Sad yeah. stuff. You made it fun again. Would you ever go back? <sighs> yeah, I was thinking about this question today because I know you guys ask it. I always told my friends and my husband, I will go back if the salary increases to at least 70,000. And like the kids will give me at least the respect of like doing some of the work. But I don't think I would go back at all. If I'm really being honest with myself, I became a teacher and I was like, man, I was really meant to be a teacher. I was a really good teacher. I'm not someone that says stuff like that. It's just not sustainable for someone like me. I have a hard time believing that teaching is sustainable for anyone that cares the right amount. Yeah. Yeah. There were so many points in my career that I just wanted and prayed that I would care less because it would make it so much easier on me and my mental health and my friends and family. And I just couldn't. I was completely invested in them. I don't think I can go back to teaching because I care too much, unfortunately. And now that I have a son, I need to be starting to place that care and that effort elsewhere. Mm -hmm. Like I could very easily go back into the classroom, but I've always said this. As soon as I stop loving it, I don't want to be in the classroom anymore. I don't want to be a teacher that doesn't 1000% care earnestly emotionally about their students I didn't want to end the day not meaning it when I said I love you I had to be honest with myself that I didn't really mean it anymore and you know I loved my students but I couldn't give them the love that they deserved and that I wanted to give them and that absolutely was not fair to them like they needed a teacher that was absolutely invested in them and I couldn't provide that anymore and so that's when I knew that I needed to step away that makes sense I had the similar thought pattern if I don't feel like I'm doing this right then I don't want to do it at all I was like I want to want to get up and be walking around my room and engaging and helping but I have like I'm just tired and I have nothing to give and I would end up not putting in the effort that I knew that I could so I was like if I'm not going to do this to the extent of my abilities it's just not the environment I need to be in absolutely I know that that is a difficult conclusion to come to but I also think that I know so many teachers who just don't want to be in the field anymore not all teachers are totally burnt out and checked out but there are enough 
enough who have done significant harm to students yeah. because they're just not in love with the profession. Yes. We all wanted to make a difference. We wanted to teach. We wanted to educate. We wanted to liberate. We wanted to do all of these things, but shit happens. A lot of the world is against us right now, which I... I know it sounds really dramatic, but... I don't think it's dramatic enough, personally. Well, especially in Florida. You know, especially in states where legislation is repeatedly being passed that harms teachers and students. It's very hard to operate in that kind of environment. And me being in California, I know that I have a lot of privilege and we have a lot of legislation on our side. We and- could make a whole podcast on how the current school system is not made for like 75 percent of brains and individual personalities and that is absolutely damaging and we can try to undo that and try to like cultivate the personalities and skills that are not encouraged by the current school system but we're unable to because the only thing districts care about is money school grades and state standardized test scores and it's absolutely devastating I always tried to tell my students you might have Caesar D's or F's and that's absolutely not representative of who you are as a person and what you can do and what your skill set is because this school system is developed to make good workers. My co-teacher that I worked under for so long he always talked about how the school system hasn't changed since industrialization. Sitting in single file lines in the military rows and asking permission to do so many things was to make you a good factory worker. That's not our society anymore. That's not our workforce anymore and it's unfair to so many students that just don't work in that systematic method because then they graduate feeling like they're dumb and they don't have anything to offer the world and they do and it hasn't been invested in by anybody. I think it's also so powerful for students to learn that. That wasn't a huge part of my curriculum around like why schools were created but it was a tiny little footnote that I exacerbated into a whole PowerPoint and was like it actually is standards based if you look at this one little asterisk. And I would teach my students about it. And at first, it was so depressing for them. The thing that always like was a very meta moment for them was about the bells and how the bell for them to change classes came from the bell for shift change for factory work. Learning that was always very meta for them. And at first, it was very depressing. But then once we kind of talked it out more, it would be very empowering for them to kind of understand this system they had been in and be able to view it for what it is and what it was and not as the end all be all defining moment of your life and just do it as what it is a system in our society that its roots go back to a variety of different things some of which may be somewhat relevant to your life but most of which are honestly not I had a school that had the kids walk on blue lines everywhere there was red zones that you couldn't go to if you got in trouble you couldn't play you had to walk the yard. They used that verbiage? They did use that verbiage. The school to prison pipeline is talking about strict discipline forces children out of school. Expulsions. Out of school or in school suspensions. There's a reason most freshman classes had 30 kids in it and most senior classes had 15 kids in it. Yes. Exactly. Forced out because of discipline issues. And you know what happens in my community when kids want to find community? They can't find it in schools. Their individuality is school 
squashed out of them. They're alienated because they're not given these opportunities for relationship building. So where do they go? They go to the gangs. The gangs say, we're gonna be here for you no matter what. That's where they go. And of course it's where they fucking go because where else, what do, you, what do you leave them with? When I was teaching seventh grade, I had students that were in gangs. My kids would be the, the runners. I don't know what they would say, but they would be the ones that would like go into the house and do the actual crime because they were minors so they wouldn't get as much time. They wouldn't have support and the community that they needed for themselves and for their family. They were all in and we could see how much opportunity there could be if we as teachers were given the resources to give them that hope. There's that statistic. I don't know where it comes from or who says it or what. It just takes one mentor and one person who believes in you to completely change the trajectory of your future path. But a lot of us teachers don't have resources from our schools or our school districts. So devastating that we can't do as much as we want to as teachers because of things like that. The school I taught at before I taught there had a large gang issue. When I taught there, some kids, especially when I taught summer school, would actually like open up and talk about that a little bit more. It makes so much sense with human nature. What do we as humans want? We want to feel productive. We want to feel validated. We want to feel supported and we want to feel seen and understood. That's not being offered to our kids in other realms. And so if they see all of that in one place, it's completely developmentally appropriate for them to latch on to it. And I think it's so sad that the blame goes on the kid, the parents, the community, whatever, when it's just the conditions our country and our city in our world have created for these things to happen. While Teach for America didn't last long for me, I'm really so grateful for it because I always knew that I grew up very privileged. Like I went to school. I knew that I wanted to go to college. I knew what college I wanted to go to. I knew the GPA that I needed to aim for and the extracurriculars. I knew who I needed to go to for a resume or who I needed to go to to help me write a college essay. And I had those resources at my school. And then when I first started teaching at the middle school that I very first started teaching at, my most problematic kids, who they always tell you, like, side with the problematic kid when you first start school, identify them and get on their side because they're the ones that's going to lead the rest of the class. He was the one that opened me up to all these gangs and the gang signs that were being, like, written on my desks by my students. And I realized people don't understand that when you get down to that grade level and that age, you don't have anybody to turn to for resume help for help for how to apply for a job for help for homework you're taking care of siblings and you don't have the people in your life not by anyone's personal fault but you don't have the resources to reach to to pull yourself up of course it's going to make sense to join a gang that's how you're going to make money to buy yourself good food or buy your little sister shoes or buy your little sister clothes or help support your mom who's working two part-time jobs that aren't really even paying your rent. So it absolutely makes sense that that's what they have to turn to and why they can't pay as much attention in the classroom. They can't do that because their immediate needs are way too big for them and way too big for us. And then we're completely helpless. And then we're completely depleting ourselves trying to do everything that we can emotionally to at least give them a safe space. We can't even afford the printer paper that we need to give them the lessons to write a complete sentence or read a short story. And once you actually start digging into this stuff with all of the inequities and problems in the education system, you just kind of stall out because it feels like it's 
it's way too big for anyone and it gets to a point where it's way too big for anyone to care enough about you don't know if you as one cog in the system can even do anything i also i don't want to make teaching sound discouraging because i can honestly say it was the most fulfilling job i've ever had in my life and it made me feel so energized and purposeful i don't want to discourage people i think a lot of people say we need to be honest about teaching and how hard it is and yes it's hard but coming out of college into teach for america like i knew teaching was hard i knew it was hard enough i was already intimidated enough i don't want to add to it a lot of teachers that are going into teaching now have the energy that i had and have the passion that i have and are going to go into a system where they don't know any different and it's go it can totally be completely fulfilling and purposeful for them and i think that that's what we need to continue developing and pumping out to try to uplift a lot of these communities and a lot of these students that need it while we are fixing the education system as a whole and while we are setting it up as an occupation that can be sustainable for an entire career lifespan i want anybody that's listening to this to know that while we've all quit and left teaching absolutely can still be completely energizing and fulfilling and so much fun and can absolutely lift your day when you're feeling shitty as shit and also there's a lot of work that needs to go into the back end to make it sustainable to help us raise and uplift a whole generation of students that can and will change the world and will continue to work on themselves and be productive meaningful beautiful members of society damn wow i really damn. got on my soapbox thanks so much for letting no, me do that. it's so valid and like i view teaching as a act of activism it's a political act and being educated is liberatory i just think it's such a privilege to play a part in that and to be a cog in that but it can be so discouraging obviously that all to say if you are somebody who wants to go into teaching you should be prepared you're going to hear about all these things you're going to experience all of these things but rather than letting it discourage you from going into education it should light your fire you're going to be in a profession where you are changing the world go in and make a difference like not only for your students but for the teachers for the school system we are agents of change and for me that is the biggest motivator to get back into education when my kids go to school I am a hundred billion percent yeah. going to be back in the classroom because I think that is the only place that I feel that I can make a difference because that is where I feel I am called to be. And goodness, is there any other job where we can have such a firsthand tangible impact on anything? Right. Gosh, I felt so good talking my students through difficulties, looking them in the eye and sitting next to them and working through like <laughs> problems they couldn't deal with or skills they didn't think that they could do or just like holding their hand while they walked through their own personal development and came out the other end feeling so much more competent like it's beautiful it's such a wonderful opportunity like it's such a privilege oh it, it is. takes a village and we are the village yes thank you so much for joining us miss dean and congratulations on motherhood oh thank you so much it's so much fun the milf era is truly serving me it's so i'm so glad fraz that you are also in your milf era we have such an opportunity to thrive babies are so cute it just keeps better and better mm -hmm. I'm only at three months I know baby Jay is older than Hawthorne but I'm seven tomorrow 
but yeah. Oh my God. And um, it's just been such an honor to be with you guys. You guys are so much fun. This was such a party. It felt really like the teacher planning room where we could just gossip and be <laughs> ourselves. And it was so healing for me. Thank you so much for joining us. Bye, you guys. Bye, you guys. Bye everybody. Just as a disclaimer, because I am someone who is actively teaching, everything on this podcast is my personal opinion and does not reflect my district, my state, my employer, my students, or my admin. Everything on this podcast was recorded on personal time, on personal equipment, and is a completely separate endeavor from my school district. Yeah, leave her alone.